It's BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski and Ryan Horvat on the BetQL Audio Network. We've got to get into some college hoops, also some Major League Baseball. We're bringing our friend from The Athletic. His name is Michael Beller. Make sure you are following him on Twitter at Podcast host and producer for The Athletic. Terrific information. You guys are going to hear that uh, uh, right now with college hoops and, of course, Major League Baseball. We need to start to dial it up here. I mean, we're well inside of a month. Uh, boy, this is Beller's time of the year. We're inside two weeks from Selection Sunday, and we're inside a month from opening day. I uh, can't wait for baseball, and maybe we'll even be have the opportunity to attend uh, some games. How you feeling, Michael Beller? I mean, you've got to be in a terrific mood, my man. Oh, my God. That's how I'm feeling right there. You're <laughs> a dog barking in the background. Perfect timing there. My God. Yes. He's pumped. I'm pumped. This is, this is Sunday. You, you nailed it, Joe. I mean, this is, this is absolutely my time of the year. So I am, I am very excited. I'm ready for the tournament to get here, ready for MLB opening day to get here. Absolutely love this time of year. Now, I, I got to tell you, I mean, usually that as we're inching closer and closer to Selection Sunday, what are we, 12 days out? It's some big picture stuff. But wait, what they gave us here is this monster Tuesday with two matchups of top six teams. So let's start, yeah, with the afternoon game of Baylor-West Virginia. Now, this Bears line has been hanging around four and a half to five points. Some books moved it in line with the Ken Palm line this morning. At five, what do you think about this matchup? Yeah, I like I like Baylor in this one. Uh, obviously, they uh, they had the three week layoff because of COVID, and we saw them take their first loss of the season over the weekend uh, against Kansas. But uh, if you sort of wrote off Kansas a couple of weeks ago when it clear was when it looked as though they weren't the brand of Kansas we're used to seeing, uh, then you have missed out on a total rebirth of what this Kansas team is—a team that is winning a ton on defense—and we saw that on display against Baylor over the weekend, holding the Bears to just 58 points. So I think that is a loss that we can totally, not, not excuse, but that we can understand. Given the layoff that Baylor had, given the way Kansas has reinvented itself on the fly, was in Lawrence, I mean, all that stands up and says to me that that's not something we should be faulting Baylor for too much. And now this is their third game coming back uh, from their three-week layoff. And as good of a team as West Virginia is, yeah, I do think that uh, we see the brand of Baylor offense that we were used to before they had to shut things down for essentially the entire month of February. So I, I like them in this game. I think that we, uh, that we do see uh, a team that can match up very well with West Virginia, a team that can uh, dominate the uh, game on the perimeter with Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague doing what they do so well. So in a game like this, I do want to side with a team that I think is, you know, maybe a half a tier better or a full tier better than uh, the opponent that they are going up against. So I lean toward Westford, excuse me, I lean toward Baylor in this one, and it's one that I feel pretty comfortable playing. Yeah, Michael, I'm with you, and I'm not going to overreact for that to that loss for Baylor. Uh, you know, Kansas is playing really good basketball right now, but also Baylor just couldn't knock down their shots. But uh, one thing I will overreact is Michigan is 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 really really good, and I think that we're starting to figure that out as you look in the Big Ten. What are your thoughts on them? Because you saw Baylor go down this weekend, and obviously they didn't hit their shots, but Michigan continue continues to be impressive. Do you think that they are legit title contenders? Like when you see Baylor. You know, they, they can't have a rough shooting night. They can be beat. And Gonzaga, probably the same thing. Do you think Michigan's a legit contender? Absolutely. I think that we need to talk about this being a three-team tier atop the sport. Yep. We've had a two-team tier all season. I mean, we knew that coming into the season, that it was Gonzaga-Baylor at the start of the season. They were 1-2 in the polls to start the season. They were 1-2 in the polls 
all season long until Baylor took that loss against Kansas over the weekend, and rightfully so. Michigan, you know, they they appeared to be, they at least put themselves in the discussion of turning things into a three-team tier with the way that they have played all year, and then I think they just absolutely solidified that over the last week with their wins over Ohio State and Iowa. So I think we should be comfortably thinking of this as a three-team tier atop the sport, and uh, we should have to be finding, once that, that selection so that does happen and the tournament bracket is released, we should need to find arguments to keep one of those teams out of the Final Four. It should almost be assumed that they are Final Four bound, and we need to hunt for arguments. The burden of proof is on the rest of the teams in their region to keep them from making the Final Four. Gonzaga Baylor, they were there all year long. Michigan is there as well, and I'm very excited for this game tonight against Illinois. With the Athletics, Michael Beller at M. Beller on Twitter, Joe Ostrowski, Ryan Horvat. This is BetQL Daily. And speaking of this 2 4 match of this evening, Michigan against Illinois, the point spread of eight, the Red Hot Wolverines favored by eight. Is that telling you, Michael, that they do not expect Io to be on the court? I would assume that that's what that says because that feels like, as, as great as Michigan is, that feels like a pretty hefty line. If Io DeSumo is going to be playing in this game, even if uh, he's going to be dealing with uh, the injury that he has right now. So I would bet against Io being out there for Illinois. And really, I mean, big picture, uh, of course, it would be great for Illinois to go out there, beat Michigan, prove to itself, you know, we are right there with the elite of the elite. We can beat these teams. And even if we are a two or a three seed and we have to go through one of these teams to get to the final four, we can do that. We just proved it by beating Michigan. That would be great. That would be a huge feather in their cap. Big picture. It doesn't matter that much. So I would expect that Iowa is not playing in this game. And again, I mean, with the way that Michigan is just so ruthlessly efficient on both ends of the floor, I mean, what they did against Iowa, that was never a game. And, you know, Iowa has had its ups and downs this season, but you can almost always count on the offense from Iowa. They scored 57 points against Michigan in that game. I mean, the way that they are just able to do things on both ends of the floor so well I feel pretty good about Michigan in this one, especially if we're not going to see Tsunmu out there for the Illini. Michael, are there any teams out there that nobody's talking about right now? Like, obviously, you know, Villanova, they haven't looked like the same team since coming off the COVID layoff. Um, We're all high on Baylor, Gonzaga, now Michigan. You know, Iowa, I mean, Iowa, you never really know what you're going to get. We know that they're going to score a lot of points, but sometimes they look pretty good defensively. Sometimes they do not. Are there any teams that nobody's talking about that you think have a legit shot uh, to make it to the Final Four? Well, you know, I I guess I I will just go back to Iowa because they were another team that uh, when they went to their lull in the middle of the season, uh, it was almost as though they were written off as a legitimate Final Four contender. It was, you know, the soft Iowa team that's not going to play enough defense, and if the shots aren't falling, the shots aren't falling, which makes them liable to go down to any good team. I think we heard a a good amount of that when they lost that uh, four or five game stretch with the only win coming against a Michigan State team that we know was uh, not up to the usual Michigan State par this season, but we've seen them really get back on track over the last couple of weeks, wins over Ohio state wins over Wisconsin Rutgers. And as you said, a defense that has looked a whole lot better over the last two weeks than what we've seen uh, earlier on in the season. So I do think that, you know, I, I don't know if they fit exactly the, uh, the archetype of team you're looking for with your question team. People are still talking about them, but they're not talking about them with the ceiling that we were talking about Iowa having, earlier in the season. And I do think that they still have that ceiling. And for me, really the guy who opens everything up and makes them such a dangerous uh, team is Joe Wieskamp. We know what Luka Garza is going to do. We know what uh, some of the other shooters around him, Jordan Bohan and CJ Frederick are going to be able to do. But Joe Wieskamp is, you know, a legitimate 
uh, weapon on the offensive end of the floor. Joe Weezy, if I had to bet on one Iowa player right now being having like a solid 10-year NBA career, I think Wieskamp would be that guy just because of the different ways that he can create head things on the offensive side of the floor. And I think that as he has gotten going for this team, as he has really developed into that 1A weapon alongside Luka Garza, we're seeing them round into the form that they had earlier in the year. So I think that they are still going to be a very dangerous draw in the uh, tournament. That goes without saying, probably. But I think they still do have that Final Four National Championship game brand of ceiling. So Horvat's going to let me ask the Wisconsin question. All right, uh, we, we've got another Big Ten matchup with top 25 teams. And Beller, as you know, Ken Palm much higher uh, on these two teams in the rankings in Wisconsin and Purdue. And I'm taking a look at points bet right now. It's bumped up to the Boilermakers uh, favored by two. How do you gauge this matchup? I, I think Purdue's my favorite play of the night, you guys. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, Joe, Joe I, I think you remember this about me. Ryan, maybe you uh, know this. Maybe you don't. I'm a Wisconsin grad. I follow this team very closely, and it has been such such a frustrating watch this season. There's just It's the same old Wisconsin in that there is no one who creates anything off the bounce. I think Johnny Davis could do that if he was given the opportunity to play 30 minutes a night, but Greg Gard just doesn't let him do that. So this is yet another Wisconsin team that if they make threes, they're going to be in it. If they don't make threes, they're not going to be anywhere near the game. That's just the truth about this team and the just insane regression of both Brad Davison and Nate Reavers this season has really made that shot falling uh, dependence for this Wisconsin offense really tenuous. And we've seen that a lot over the last you know month, six weeks or so with the losses that they've taken against Illinois, against Ohio State, against Penn State, uh, games against Michigan and Iowa that they were just never in. And we entered the season with them, Wisconsin, them being in a seeming top tier of the Big Ten alongside Iowa and Illinois. And Iowa and Illinois have mostly lived up to their end of the billing. Illinois has probably been a little bit better. Michigan put themselves in that group. Ohio State put themselves in that group. And Wisconsin has fallen completely out of that group. And just with what we've seen from them now for the balance of the season and really for the entire Big Ten slate, I just don't see why we should trust this team as a shot-making team. Demetri Trice, I think he's going to go out there and mostly do what he does on any given night. He's the only guy who I can say that about. And so I just am never going to feel comfortable backing Wisconsin. Purdue, you know, not necessarily an explosive offensive team, but Purdue pretty much delivers on what you expect them to do. Sometimes it's good enough. Sometimes it's not good enough, but you're not really going to see a totally flat effort from Purdue relative to what you expect them to do. We've seen that a lot from Wisconsin this season, and so I'm going to go ahead and back the Boilermakers tonight. Yeah, and Michael, it's been a really disappointing year for the Badgers, and I thought that they were going to be – well, I thought that they were going to be a top-10 team. Like, if you look at the average age of this team with all these seniors and five-year seniors, they're older than the Chicago Bulls. And it's not like – like Brad Davison, I'm sorry to say this, I can't wait to never watch him shoot a basketball ever again. I feel like he's been at Wisconsin for 14 years. I don't even mind when they have the 0 for 9 start shooting the 3. I mean, I do, but I don't because that's just basketball. You're going to have bad shooting nights. But double-digit turnovers, you know, getting killed on the glass against Michigan, it's just this is not a good basketball team. So I'm with you there. Um, You know, it's a loaded slate today. Is there anything – that you like. You know, we got Duke, Georgia Tech. There's some of these games that nobody's really talking about, some under, underrated games. Uh, Toledo Central Michigan, 4 o'clock start. That's the only reason I'm looking at that one. Anything that you like on today's slate that we haven't talked about yet? 
Yeah, you know, uh, Toledo's actually a team that I've been uh, backing quite a bit this season and uh, took a little bit of a slide when they lost those back-to-back games to Ball State and Bowling Green, but uh, still the best team, I think, in the MAC and uh, really a really strong offense, a team that shoots the ball very well, a team that has multiple guys who shoot it really well, and a team that when they've gone up against a pretty soft competition, as they are doing against Central Michigan tonight, uh, they basically just run them out of the gym. And that's what you want to see from a team in a conference like the MAC that can be a second weekend NCAA tournament team. We know that Toledo definitely has that club in its bag. And so you want to see them always comfortably take care of business when they are going up against that second, third, fourth tier competition in their own conference. And we've really seen that all season long from Toledo. They haven't messed around against any of these directional Michigan teams. Uh, Miami, Ohio has never really given them any sort of issue. Even some of the better teams in the MAC, like uh, Akron and Kent state, they've been able to take care of. It was just that little blip losing to ball state, losing to Bowling Green. That's going to happen to basically every team in the country and certainly a team uh, like uh, Toledo in a smaller conference, right? Even unless you are one of the just absolute dominant teams, uh, Loyola from a couple of years ago uh, in these smaller conferences, you're probably going to slip up a little bit. So I think they absolutely just take care of business and roll over central Michigan this afternoon. So that's, uh, that's definitely what I've got. With Michael Beller of the athletic, this is Joe Ostrowski and Ryan Horvat on BetQL daily. And Michael, we, we always talk about how it's all about matchups once you get to the tournament. But is there a team or two that is projected to be two, three, or even a four seed that you, you've had earmarked for a while? Like, I can't wait to go against this team. <laughs> All right, man, I was thought you were going to go uh, in the other direction there. Yeah, no. you know, but a, a team that uh, a team that I just don't have um, you know a ton of confidence in uh, going into the tournament this year is Virginia. Um, yeah, this is you know it, it's the same style of Virginia team that we've come to expect under Tony Bennett. But uh, every time they go up against some of the better competition in the ACC, it seems like they always fall flat. And I just I've been sort of looking at them askance ever since that game right around Christmas when they just got blown out by Gonzaga. And there is absolutely no shame in getting blown out by Gonzaga. Good teams to get blown out by Gonzaga. But that was their, you know, that we knew that was going to be their one real test outside of ACC play, and they failed it miserably. And then we've, they've gone along in this ACC season. It's a, it's a down year for the conference. We expect this to be one of the better conferences in the country every single season. It just hasn't been that this year. And so when I look at a, you know, have them having a 12 and four conference record, typically we would assign that, you know, to be a great team in the ACC. You're able to win 12, 13, 14 games in the ACC. You're going to be one of the best teams in the country, but that's just not true of the conference this season had the three game losing streak recently going down to Florida state, going down to Duke, going down to NC state. It's just not the uh, lockdown Virginia team that we expect to be. And you still see them being a pretty good defensive team, but this is a Virginia squad that when it is at its best, when it is truly a, you know, final four uh, contender, they are at the top of the top of the defensive charts. And they're just really not there this season. I don't think they're the sort of team that's going to maybe go down as a 13, four, but I don't think we're talking about Virginia as a second weekend team. And if they do end up drawing, let's say, a Toledo as their 13 seed, or they're a five and they're going up against the 12 in Toledo, I think that that's where they could really get themselves into some trouble. That's the Athletics' Michael Beller. Michael, stay right there because coming up next, we want to talk MLB futures and awards. It's Joe Ostrowski and Ryan Horvat. This is BetQL Daily, and you're locked into the BetQL Audio Network. It's BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski and Ryan Horvat on the BetQL Audio Network.
Live on the radio.com app and 1430 in Denver. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Michael Beller. But instead of college hoops, we're going to transition over to Major League Baseball. Follow Michael Beller on Twitter at MBeller, podcast host and producer over at The Athletic. And we want to hit on MLB futures and awards. Uh, you aren't tied to these forever. Just some early thoughts, uh, Michael, as we are now at just uh, about a few weeks away from the season here. And We've got to start with the World Series futures, and I, I'm just wondering about your mentality going in, because there are some people that just kind of throw their hands up and, yeah, of course the Dodgers got power. Like, am I, am I really going to waste money on some other team? Because I think the Dodgers are going to go back to back. It's going to be the first time in, in decades since we've seen that. Uh, over at points bet, Dodgers plus 350 to win the World Series. Yankees, the second favorite at plus 550. Then the Padres plus 800, the White Sox plus 900, Mets plus 1,000. What, what is your mentality going in with uh, the World Series or pennant odds, and uh, is there value anywhere? Yeah, I think you can find some. I mean, obviously the Dodgers deserve to be where they are. I wouldn't even be surprised or wouldn't, wouldn't think it'd be crazy if they were plus 250 or plus 300. You know, we yep. just don't really see that for, for World Series odds before the season. Uh, but there's still some value to be found. I would say the first the first step here is, I mean, there there's MLB is such a have and have not league that I don't think you're really going to be looking for anyone who's beyond like the plus 2,000 range. as someone who you're really realistically going to want to have a future bet tied up. And I just don't think we have that team this season. I think, you know, even teams you can maybe get excited about in that range, uh, Houston or Toronto or St. Louis, if you think they're the best team in the NL Central, like there's too many fleas with those teams to really think they're going to run through uh, a gauntlet in the playoffs and get there. But I think there's still some value to be found. And I think the place you find it the most is maybe with the Atlanta Braves, a team that has proven to us that uh, they can be a big time danger in the playoffs uh, with basically the personnel that they bring back this season. Uh, you know, you look at this, this offense one through eight, this is going to be you know, maybe the best offense in major league baseball and certainly among the best offenses in the league. I don't think any of us have any question about what they're going to be able to do game in game out at the plate. You look in the rotation and maybe that's where you find your question marks, but this is a very high ceiling rotation. Uh, we come into the year with Max Fried, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson as the top three. Uh, obviously, uh, Max Fried took a big jump last season. He's going to have to keep uh, his uh, hard hit rate as low as it was last year. He's a great guy at controlling um, the the danger of the contact he gave up, similar to what we've seen from Kyle Hendricks for so many years. Max Fried can do that. So Fried, Morton, Anderson, I think that's a very nice top three. They're going to get Mike Soroka back relatively early in the season. I was talking with David O'Brien, who covers the Braves uh, for the Athletic uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know all signs are pointing to Mike Soroka being back on the mound for this team, maybe late May. So, in, like them them being a playoff team, I don't think that's really going to be in question. The East is a tough division with the, what the Mets did, and the, the Nationals still being a dangerous team, assuming they've got a basically healthy Steven Strasburg. Obviously, Patrick Corbett can bounce back. Suddenly, you're looking at a very dangerous top three in their rotation. Uh, but the Braves are going to make the playoffs. And so long as Mike Soroka is good to go once October rolls around September and October, and now you're talking about Soroka, Freed, Morton, and Anderson, that's a top four that's going to go up against anyone. We know the offense is going to be great. I just think there's a lot of value in them. It's plus 1,000. It's not like the greatest value, but I think that there's the most value in the Braves. And Sadina's a game away from making the World Series a season ago, and I think they could be right back there this year. 
you guys brought up the Cubs and Michael, I actually do want to get your thoughts on the NL central because you know, what teams do you think right now are being undervalued when you look at win totals, especially because in the NL central, you know, when Pakota released their projections, I was shocked that they had the Cardinals finishing third in the NL central. I think the Cardinals are going to run away with the central, you know, maybe the Brewers if the pitching is the way that they expect it to be. And Brandon Woodruff has a Cy Young type year and they don't, you know, package Josh Hader and Devin Williams is the pitcher that we saw last year. And then the Reds are kind of a sneaky team, but I just feel like the the Cardinals aren't getting enough love. What are your thoughts on the NL Central? I would say first and foremost, we know there is at least one undervalued team in the NL Central. Like it's the worst division in baseball from the, uh, I think from the standpoint of having high ceiling teams, but mm-hmm. all four of those teams, none of those four are bad teams. None of those four are truly bad teams. The Pirates obviously are. The other four, none of them is going to be a bad team. I don't think you're going to see any of those teams go 72 and 90 or anything like that. Maybe one of them has some bad luck with injuries and, you know, that ends up happening to them. But they're all going to be, I think, in the, you know, 75 to 85 win range, maybe a little bit higher than that. And I hear what you're saying on the Cardinals. I do think that they can be uh, the team that is most undervalued, but I don't know what to think about that rotation beyond Jack Flaherty. I think that there that could be a real uh, thing that drags them down. The Brewers, I do love the Woodruff and Burns combination at the top of the rotation, but again, not exactly sure what to expect beyond those two guys. I think Josh Lindblom is going to be a real X factor for that team this season. And then I, I think there are some concerns with their offense, uh, given the struggles we saw, you know, most notably, I think from Keston here a season ago, I'm not too worried about Christian Yelich. I come back to the Cubs, you guys, and I look at an offense. I mean, there's been just so much negativity about the team this off season, but they're still going into the season with Ian Happ, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Javier Baez, you know, for this team stylistically, Jock Peterson is an upgrade from Kyle Schwarber. They needed to diversify what their offensive profile was. Jock Peterson, does that a guy who's going to take more walks a guy who's you know not quite a, a complete black hole a guy who improves the outfield defense a little bit although i think outfield defense is the most overrated thing in uh in the sport uh but still does improve that a little bit you're going to see a ton of nico horner and if this team is going to be a pitch to contact rotation we know that about these guys every single guy in the rotation hendrix uh arietta davies alec mills we assume is going to make the rotation trevor williams Albert alzali alzali is really the only guy who's not necessarily going to be a pitch-to-contact guy. And so if you're going to do that, if you know that's the reality of your team, then you feel pretty good about having Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Nico Horner out there in your infield every single day. There's a potential marriage between rotation and infield defense here that could really play to the Cubs' strengths. And so I think the negativity and the uh, the justified negativity surrounding this team this offseason is obscuring the fact that it's still a pretty talented team. And so I think they actually go into the, uh, the season as the most undervalued NL Central team, 78 and a half, right? That's the number on their win over under, I believe, 78 and a half, 77 and a half right in there, plus 425 to win the division. I think that they are pretty underweight in, in both of those uh, respects. With Michael Beller from the Athletic Joe Ostrowski, Ryan Horvat, BetQL Daily. Uh, Ryan, when you were uh, leading into your point there about the most undervalued NL Central team, I was convinced that you were going to make a case for the Cincinnati Reds. When you look at some of the peripherals in a 60-game sample, like just everything went the wrong, went the other way for them. It just felt like they, so many talented hitters were just all in one two-month sample. Very unlucky. Are, are you out on Cincinnati? Yeah, I'm not out on Cincinnati. I think that they're in that group as well. Um, and uh, it's 
it's I think you're totally right about that, Joe, that you had so many things go wrong for guys who we don't expect things to go wrong for over, you know, a 162. It just happened to all happen at the same time. And they still have Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo fronting the rotation. Uh, obviously, Trevor Bauer off to L.A., and that was the guy who was their guy last year. But, you know, Luis Castillo, like I wouldn't be surprised if Luis Castillo had a better year this year than Trevor Bauer. And I think the guy who could really bring everything together for them Tyler Malley and Tyler Malley has uh, showed a lot of good strikeout stuff in 2018 and 2019, got himself into some trouble with walks, but the strikeout stuff was there. He took it to a completely new level last season and he gives them a very dangerous third arm in this rotation. And if now we're talking about three guys uh, in Gray Castillo and Malley who are all going to strike out, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, 27 to 30% of the hitters they face, they're just not going to let a whole lot of balls get put into play. And so I think that that's the guy who could be the key to unlocking Cincinnati's season because, you know, things went wrong for them offensively, as you said last year, but we know what Eugenio Suarez and Nick Castellanos and Mike Moustakis. And at this stage of his career, Joey Votto, we know what those guys are going to be. They do have some up and comers in the offense with Nick Senzel, you know, most uh, standing out among them, Jose Garcia, if he can get to the majors and be their everyday shortstop, I think he's a guy who could add another element to their offense as well. But if Tyler Malley's a legit, you know, number two uh, as the, as a number three in this rotation, then we're talking about you know maybe the best rotation in the division, and that would totally change the equation for the Reds. Michael, really quick, uh, moving over to the American League. If you had to make a pick today, March second, who would you pick to represent the American League in the World Series, or who do you think should be the favorite? Is it the Yankees for you? Is it a team like the Astros, or is it everybody wants to say a sleeper team, but now everybody's in on the White Sox, or is it the White Sox for you? Yeah, right. There's there's no real sleeper team in the American League. They, the, the, the top teams have separated themselves so much from the rest of the pack that it's hard to point to one team jumping out and, and being that team. So, you know, right now I'm, I'm still going to uh, lean toward the Yankees just because of uh, what I think they're going to be able to do uh, from a consistency standpoint. I still think there's going to be uh, some learning curve for the White Sox. I do think that they're the two best uh, teams in the American League, and I think it's going to ultimately come down to the two of them. Uh, I really want to believe in the Blue Jays, and I think that that's, uh, that's a team that uh, we're going to have to learn a lot about what their offense or what their rotation is early in the season. I think we know basically what we're going to get from Hunjin Rue, but Robbie Ray, can he ever find some consistency? What sort of innings are they going to be able to get out of Nate Pearson? It feels like a team that is going to be held back by its rotation. And then, of course, there's the Minnesota Twins. Everyone's ready to overlook them because of uh, what the White Sox have done and how they have built themselves into this big-time contender. But the Twins are still going to be a very good team. It's still a very dangerous team. I really look at you know them as separating themselves. I would say Yankees, White Sox, then I'm going to take a step down. I find the Twins, and then I really take a step down to the rest of the American League. That, that, that West Division is going to be a very tricky one to figure out and one we might not have a great handle on until the summer's here. Uh, with the Athletics, Michael Beller, uh, any MLB awards or stat leaders that uh, you really like at this juncture? All right, guys. So uh, my favorite one, and I'm not backing off this just yet, even though we uh, heard that he had his uh, start pushed back uh, because of some back tightness yesterday. Like I-, I love the I love the Cy Young profile for for Brandon Woodruff with what we've uh, seen from him <laughs> over the last couple yeah. of seasons and. And uh, just the, the strikeout stuff is going to play absolutely. He's going to have a great chance to be on a division winner at the very least uh, in that NL Central. And just to see him way down 
where he is. Uh, you know, same Cy Young odds as Charlie Morton, just a little bit better than Denelson Lamette. I mean, I love Denelson Lamette. Denelson Lamette's the two-pitch pitcher right now. We still need to see a good third offering from him before we take him you know, totally seriously as a Cy Young candidate over a 162-game season. We've had that from Brandon Woodruff. And so to see him down at plus 2,200, I really like the value on him there. Like, give me him. Oh, I think he's a better pitcher, period. Than Max Fried and uh, you know, Max Fried is, is higher than him. I think he's. I think he should be more in like the Luis Castillo, Jack Clarity group. They're sitting at plus fifteen hundred. Brandon Woodruff is that kind of pitcher more than he is any other kind of pitcher. So I, I absolutely love that. That's the one individual award that has really jumped out at me as we get ready for Major League Baseball season. Uh, now I can't make fun of Horvat anymore for betting on Woodruff to be the NL Cy Young. Uh, Michael Beller, I gave, that pick. I gave that out as my favorite, my favorite MLB future, and Joe was not a fan. He called me a homer. Well, uh, yeah, come on, exactly. Joe. He's just a Brewers guy. That's what he does. Uh, <laughs> Michael Beller at M Beller on Twitter. Thanks, Michael. Talk soon. All right. All right, guys. Thank you. Enjoy all the college hoops today. That's Michael Beller. Oh, that, I gotta respect that a little bit now. Darn yep. it. All right, yep. we're going to we're going to come back with a brand new segment and it has something to do with Major League Baseball. We'll debut it next. You're locked into the BetQL Audio Network.